Greetings from Covenant Community of LJ, Georgia. We want to thank you for taking the time to listen to these messages God has provided to our fellowship from His Word. May He bless you richly as you seek Him. We'd like to invite you to be with us in person someday soon. And for information on that, visit us at covenantcommunitylj.com. And now, let's open up God's Word. Last week we talked about uh, that Jesus desires, Jesus deserves, and Jesus demands preeminence in our lives. He desires it. Isn't that amazing that He even cares if you're His friend or not? He desires your allegiance to him. And he deserves it. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the Lord of all things in the universe. Created them all. We were created for his pleasure. He deserves that we put him first in our lives. And then uh, he demands that. If you, he says, you are to put me at the center of your life. When you have the center of the wheel, then the wheel's in balance. When you allow it to uh, get offside, then the, the wheel falls apart. So Jesus uh, desires, deserves, and demands preeminence in our lives. He says, uh, we talked about last week, that we need to seek Him. And that word seek is passionately be after Him, seeking after Him, to know Him. Paul said, I count everything but done that I may know Him. And I can experience the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering. He said, I want to know Him. And I count everything else, nothing compared to that relationship. You know, when I first started dating Martha, I changed my whole schedule. I mean, I had a new priority, all right? And stuff I didn't have time for, suddenly, I, you know, you, you just some of you got moved to the bottom of the, the list there. You know, I had a new priority. Jesus Christ wants to be our first priority. And as we were singing the song there, you alone can save and turn my heart from stone to clay. And you know, that's what God is about doing. Uh, coming into our lives and then changing our lives to be more and more like Him. So He wants us to seek Him as an urgent priority in life. And if you have Him... You have everything you need. Jesus Christ has made to me all I need, all I need. He alone is all my plea. He is all I need. Wisdom, righteousness, and power. Holiness forevermore. My redemption, full and short. Sure, He is all I need. How many believe that? Really? I hope by the end of the service today that that thought grips your heart and you leave here saying, I want to love you more. I want to experience you more, not just for me, but I want you to be so happy with my life. You may be here today feeling very defeated and say, well, I've blown it. He might help you, preacher. He might help some of those guys go to Africa, but I've blown it too much. No, 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 no. Jesus is the God of the second chance and the third chance. And Henry, you're glad you got more chances than that. Yes. He keeps reaching out to us. And it's, it, it, it is His wonderful love. So seek Him urgently. Set your mind on things above. And we just talked about last week, and I don't want to preach that again. But I was so happy that, that we had one person here that knew all the colors of the rainbow. And we started talking about the throne of God. And out from His throne is bursting brilliant color. A living color of reds and oranges and yellows and blues and greens and indigos and violets. He created the spectrum. He created the rainbow. And now bursting out from his throne, there's lightning popping down there. Thunder rolling. Angels shouting out with continual amazement and continual revelation of the awesome God that we have. And I hope that we can grip that in our hearts and lives. Because we decided, you know, it says here in, in, in Colossians, it says... Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, if you died with Him, if you're raised with Him, keep seeking those things above. Colossians 3, 1, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
When Christ tours our life is revealed, then you'll be revealed with Him in glory. So we have the perspective our whole life. You can be living. Now, now some Christians are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. I've met many of them. Met a whole lot of Christians that are so earthly minded, they're no much heavenly good. Jesus is real. Jesus is king. Jesus is coming. And 1 John 3 says, well, I want to be living such a life that when I hear the trumpet sound, I say, oh no, not today. That's sort of like the teacher doing a pop quiz. Oh, not today. I didn't even study last night. I stayed up all night playing some Xbox game. No. You know, when Jesus comes, I hope that you can say, oh, really? You know, Ronald Watkins, I've told you the story before, but I just like it. He was laying in bed uh, out there on... Uh, uh, whatever road he lives on. Boardtown, yes. He was asleep out there and some friend of his went by in his big truck and just sat on the horn. You know, about 2, 3 in the morning. And he said, Steve, I was so proud of myself. I sat up and thought, Jesus is coming. And then he thought, I'll get him later. But, uh, you know, Jesus is coming. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Do you live in the thought? Jesus is coming. Not like, like he was saying, oh, he's going to get me, but he is coming. Oh, how awesome it'll be that He will then make all things new. That we're not going to just sit in heaven all our lives. There's a new heaven and a new earth. And God's going to restore it to what He planned it to be. And we can't even imagine. And I just heard about somebody, uh, I guess it was yesterday evening or this morning. I guess, no, it was this morning. We were talking about somebody in their 90s going through chemo. I said if they knew what heaven was like, they'd forget the chemo and say, give me the morphine. You know, I'm out of here. I'm going to go there. Why stay here? You know, I've had 90-something years. If, if God let us know what heaven was like, we'd just not be good for much here because we'd be wanting to leave all the time. Just let, just let me go on. Just, you know, leave it to Eric. Let him take care of it, you know. Uh, uh, so, so, you know, we are to seek him. We're to set our minds on things above, but we're not to think of heaven as way out there totally impractical. God cares about your life. He cares about your friends. He cares about your enemies. He cares about your... And, and today, when I get to the end of the sermon and I start interfering in your life, guess what? Somebody told me, you can't say that. I said, I didn't. I'm just quoting what Jesus said. And that's what we're going to quote today at the end of Colossians 3. Some of you may have it snipped out of your Bible, but it's still there. You know, he says, this is the practical way to live. So seek Him passionately. Seek Him urgently. Set your mind on Him. And then it said last week, we talked about this since we are doing three S's. Slay. Put to death anything that smells of sin. How many of you have seen a black widow spider? How many have picked one up and let it just crawl around on your hand? You have? You're crazy. Okay. <laughs> no, you haven't. Uh, your mother would kill you before the spider did. All right. Uh, but, you know, you don't pick that up and play with that. You know, you don't. Well, some of you might. Uh, you know, I don't play with tarantulas. You know, I've seen people put them on their hand. Not me. Those things can jump way over there. I don't want them around. I don't play with copperheads. Unless they're in two pieces. <laughs> Sorry for you nature lovers. You know, uh, say stay off my property and you can. Be happy out there, but don't come near my house. You know, the, the Bible says don't play with sin. Sin is like, I know Superman's not real, but it's like kryptonite to Superman. It just weakens you and destroys you, makes you totally ineffective. We should hate sin and love righteousness. So it says slay, put to death anything that smells of sin. You don't want to pet it. You don't want to put it in a little cage and look at it. You don't want to uh, joke about it. Sin is deadly. Sin is serious. Last week I said it's like, you know, taking a big uh, syringe full of, of permanent ink and squirting it on your favorite shirt. It ruins it. It's like squirting acid onto yourself. It eats and keeps eating and keeps destroying deep down into your life. When you mess with sin, you're messing with something that is destructive in your life, in your family's life, in your friend's life, all around you. Sin destroys. Lust leads to sin and sin leads to death. Separation. Separation of all kinds. And then... Uh, Sin is, 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 is like a, a cancer 
It is deadly. It doesn't need petting. It doesn't need feeding. It doesn't need air. It needs to be killed. Otherwise, it will kill you. So if you're going to kill something, if you're going to kill a spider on the floor, what do you do? Thank you, Laura. That is exactly Stomp that thing. And I mean, you don't do it gingerly like that. This morning, I went out to put some cat food out. There's this monster spider sitting on my front thing. Now, I'm sorry if I offend some of you who just love all creatures living. But spiders, rats, snakes, all of them are not welcome. So here he was sitting looking at me. So I happened to have some bug spray. So I and guess what he did? Boing, 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 like he's going to jump in the house. And I was jumping and moving fast. Uh, he was coming. I was going to deal with him. I was going to slay him. And I did. Uh, I put stuff on him to kill him. The Bible says slay sin. Do away with sin. It is destructive in your life. And so I'm not going to read through those again. We talked about them last week from uh, verse 5, 6, 7, 8. 9 uh, and 10 it says we have put on the new self that is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him uh, in, in Colossians here Eric's preached about this and I preached about this don't be led astray don't be tricked you know when you first start out in life sometimes you're naive uh, you, you can be tricked and, and so Colossians have been saying, don't be led astray by the reasoning of this world. There is a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof are the ways of death, the Bible says. You think you're going the right way, but you're headed to death. Don't be led astray by the reasoning of the world, by the rituals of the world. People set up certain little things. Oh, you can't. Don't be led astray by those. Don't. Be led astray by the regulations of the world. A, a particular little system. You can't wear this, can't wear that. Got to do this, got to do that. Set up a little formula and you think that you're right with God and God will love you more because you did that. No. Don't be led astray by those things. Paul said in the song that we sang there at the beginning, the focus is Jesus Christ in Him. And it's not just, well, He's up there, the big celestial uh, dictator getting ready to smack me with His celestial flyswatter. No. He loves you. He came down here and died for you. Rose again from the dead so that the sin that you're infected with, the deadly sin that is killing you and in this life messing you up and in the life to come separating you from God forever, Jesus came and He died for your sins. Died for that deadly, deadly sin that was inside us. We don't just commit sins. We have a sinful nature. We have a nature that is antagonistic to God and His ways. Uh, you know, uh, one man was talking about, you know, little tiny children. He says they're born little savages. You know, now, not your children, of course. Those other ones from that other church. That's the, they're the ones. But I mean, you just, from very little child, they're already very selfish, already very, uh, uh, got that sin nature in them. So beware of enticing words. Beware of uh, worldly philosophies. Beware of mysticism. Beware of unbiblical worldviews. And, and so we've been warned about them, about legalistic systems. And instead live in faith. Chapter 1 talks about and hope and love. Living in faith, hope and love in the spirit of the Lord Jesus. Do you trust Him today? Faith. Not faith in faith, but faith in Jesus Christ. Not a distant person, but Jesus in this world. Jesus, our Savior. Jesus in us by His Holy Spirit. Faith and hope. And we're not talking about hope, which is a maybe so. I, I've got hope that I get this for Christmas. I hope that works out. This is a delighted, firm confidence of assured thing. Faith, hope, and then love. And we'll talk about that more in a little bit. The God kind of love working in our life. Loving Jesus Christ who is revealed in the Bible. So we're to put off and put on. We're to kill sin. We're to take radical action and hate it and fear it and kill it. Now, verses 12 through uh, 17, uh, Colossians 3, 12 through 17. Let's read those together or read those. I'll read them to you. Since as those who have been chosen of God, Isn't that great? He chose you. 
They came up there and I didn't even see them. Good for you. Thank you. All right. Chosen of God. Holy and beloved. God didn't just choose you. He loves you. Believe it? Yes. He loves you. We don't have to like everything that's going on. But if God loves you, that's a good place to be, isn't it? And experiencing His love. Don't let anything come between Him and His love for you. Put on a heart, put on a heart of compassion, of kindness. Are you a compassionate person? Now, I know you're really compassionate for little, cute little kitties, nice little puppies, cute little budgies. But are you compassionate to your husband, Ugh. your child, your wife, your co-worker, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, and whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, in other words, over and above and beyond that, put on love. Love is the super foundation to that, the super glue woven all through that, the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. It's so easy for fear to grab us, isn't it? There's lots of things to be scared of. And then the more you learn about life, the more you find out you can be scared of. There's things that happen that you just think, oh, how did that happen? So let the peace of Christ umpire rule in your life. How many of you here work in sports as an umpire sometimes? Do that referee and umpire? You know, if you, uh, I, I do that at karate tournaments. And, and, you know, if you see somebody do something that uh, they shouldn't do, then you call that. If you see them score a point, then you call that an umpire. Let the peace of God umpire in your hearts. To which indeed you were called. God called you to this in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing each other with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's all kinds of singing. Singing with thankfulness in your heart to God and whatever, listen, whatever. Everybody say whatever. Whatever. Now, not like the teenagers do. Go clean your room. Whatever. No, not that whatever. This is whatever. Whatever you do in word. Anything that you say and deep. Anything you do. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks through him to God the Father. Are you able to hold that up that you drink? Are you able to hold that up that you do? Are you able to hold that magazine that you read? Are you able to watch that show uh, with Jesus and say, whatever I do in word or deed, I do it to please him, to make him happy, and then with a thankful heart through him to God the Father. We talked last week about putting off some things. This week we want to talk about the new man. Becoming a new man uh, in our relationships. Put on the new man uh, who is being renewed in knowledge. In other words, when Adam uh, brought sin into the world, we were messed up. We began to think the wrong way, feel the wrong way, act the wrong way, go the wrong way. Now that you've given your life to Christ, now that your spirit has come alive to Him, now that He is it's in you by the Holy Spirit, He is going to bring your thinking back to the way it should be uh, in life. And you're going to be the kind of a person that is uh, compassionate and kind and loving. Now, how many of you know that when you start teaching something, in the Bible, teaching about you should do this, shouldn't do that. What happens a lot of times? Somebody raise your hand and tell me. What? Uh, you have to walk in it. That means that what's going to happen when you try to start walking in it? 
you're going to have testing in that area. How many have found that true in your life? You know, just when you try to teach something, then you find it's true. Well, guess what? This week, uh, I mean, I've been reading Colossians for uh, months and reading through that. And this week, I'm supposed to talk about compassion and kindness and that. And uh, uh, guess what? I've got a test. Well, several. Uh, and so it's interesting. I was talking with Martha about something. And, you know, she gave her opinion, and I gave mine. She said, well, you don't have to be so curt about it. And I looked at her, I said, I really don't intend to be curt. I'm just telling you what I think. I really don't care. You know, I don't care if you do, don't care if you don't. Uh, you just asked, gave me your opinion, I gave you mine, don't care. But she said, well, it just sounded curt. And I said, now granted, we've been up, both of us been up late with Sophie that night, but still, I got to thinking about that. I had to laugh at myself. I said, this is the way it always happens. That's why Ricky said, please don't preach on adultery. That way you won't be tested there. So we don't, we need any tests there. So we'll just stay off of that one, okay? Stay off. But, you know, I realized, so I asked myself this question and I want to ask you this question. Do you need to be a more compassionate person? Do you need to be a kinder person? Do you need to be a more humble person? Do you need to be a more gentle person? Do you need to be a more patient person? Do you, uh, and I'm trying not to look at anybody so you don't think, you look right at me when you say that. I'm mad. Uh, I'll never forgive you for that. Okay. Uh, this is the word of God to us. Chapters 1, chapters 2. Watch out, don't be led astray, don't go. But here are the things that you should put on. And then here is where you're going to put it into practice. And then it's going to talk about the family, marriage, husbands, wives, children, workers, employees, employers. Going to talk about what the Bible has to say about that and what God would like us to do about that, what God is asking for us to do. So he says, uh, be restored, verse, uh, to the image of the one who created him. Who is that? Who created you? Yes. And you're to be restored to the image of Jesus Christ. Restored. You know, Romans 8, 28, 29 says, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, who are called according to his purpose, verse 29, says to make us like Jesus. And God's going to use some sandpaper to sandpaper off some stuff. You know, we've been out there sandpapering the, the, the stuff on the walls, trying to get them smooth. So when we paint them, they look really good. God uses sandpaper. And you've laughed about this before, but a lot of times it's your wife. A lot of times it's your husband. A lot of times it's your coworker. A lot of times it's your kids that uh, things are testing you. Uh, to see what you're going to do. So, as the elect of God, as the chosen of God, as the special people of God, we're to put on tender mercies and kindness and humility. We're not talking about, are you smart? Uh, we're talking about character qualities in your life. Tender mercies, sensitive to the touch. He wants you to care about other people's misery, to be sensitive to how they're feeling. You say, well, if he was, I would be. No. Regardless of what everybody else does, it's you, right? It's me. To please who? To, to please who? Help me, everybody. Yes, please God. Let me tell you, you will start having a new joy in life. If somebody's mean to you, now, now, sometimes they don't think they're mean to you. And you say, look, did you really mean to hurt my feelings? I hurt my feelings. Yeah, and I don't care. Let me just say it louder. Blah, 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 blah. You say, oh, okay. Well, then you have a choice. You can get louder and say longer words back to them. Or you can say, Lord Jesus, if you wanted to, you could strike them down. You know, remember the king, uh, Jeroboam? He pointed to the prophet said, seize him. And his arm froze in place. 
Uh, hey, prophet, would you help me out, uh, uh, please? Pray to God for me. And the prophet said, Lord, help his arm go down. And his arm went down. And God is all powerful. Amen? Amen. He can deal with that person that is bothering you. He can strike them dumb. He can strike them dead. He can strike you dead. Take you straight to heaven. You won't have any more problems. You know, just gone. Out of here. How many know that? Do you believe that? Now, if you will say, God, I'm in this situation. As best I know, I didn't precipitate it. Now, they have just cursed me. You said to do what to those who curse you? Spit on them. No, no, sorry, that's not the right. No, bless those who curse you. Speak something good about the person who cursed you. And ask God's blessing on them. If you really believe that your God is paying attention to you. I mean, how many of you have young children here in church right now? You know, just go over to Josh and get his kid by the hair of the head and shake it in front of him. See what happens. You're going to get hurt. You can't do that to his kid. God says, if you being evil take care of your kids, what about me? I am paying attention. I do know. I can do something about it. And if I don't do something about it right now, first of all, you can remember that I didn't do stuff to you when you deserved it. How many are guilty there? Yes, yes. I mean, I'm glad God has mercy. So if he shows mercy to somebody else, it's fine. Uh, it, it's fine. But God is there. And as an act of worship to him, you can say, you know, if he just cussed me, I must need cussing. You know, I don't have, yes, I do. Now, who knows what's in this cup? You can guess what's in this cup, but you don't know what's in this cup. But if somebody will bang my elbow, guess what? We'll all know what's in this cup. God will let you be banged. So that you and everybody else will know what you're full of. <laughs> Me and Ed don't like that. Why don't we like it? Because we know it's true, and sometimes we don't like what comes out of us. We like to blame somebody else, but the truth is, now that happens to have creamy coffee in it, and if you bump my elbow, out will come creamy coffee because that's what it's full of. If you're full of the Holy Spirit, if you want to have compassion and kindness and love coming out of you, guess what? You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to be living to please God. Then when you're living to please God, full of the Holy Spirit, out of you in those situations will start coming other things. It's not by willpower. You can't change yourself to make yourself nicer. You've got to have a renewal by the Holy Spirit, a change by the Holy Spirit, and you cooperate with Him. How many times has God said to you, don't say that? Any of you ever had that? Don't do that. Now one time I heard that, but it's really gentle. And I went ahead and did what I shouldn't do. And I said, well, I should just do like a demon. Just grab hold of me and just make me do it. And God said, no. I will give you one choice at a time. And it's your choice. Everybody's got freedom to choose, but there's no <laughs> you all listen so much. Yes. Everybody has freedom to choose, but there's no, say it loud, free choices. What you choose has consequences. What you choose, whether you're a Christian or not, stuff ripples out from that. Choose wisely. Choose God's way. Choose to walk with Him uh, in that. So as the elect of God, the chosen of God, put on tender, put on these things that He's asked you to put on. Uh, remember, Christ forgave you. Listen, uh, the, God holds back His anger a very long time when we sin against Him. And He bears with us a long time when we sorely provoke Him. Be like Jesus. God reaches out to bad people to bring forgiveness to them. The habit of man is not to reconcile the offending person uh, if they're a person of bad character. I can forgive my wife, but I don't like to forgive that mean person. But we're to be people who have forgiving hearts. 
God makes the first move towards us in forgiveness. And the habit of men is only to be reconciled to the offending party if they beg for forgiveness and make the first move. We're supposed to forgive them already. Somebody uh, uh, called me and they said, will you please forgive me for that? I said, I already did. Because God had already worked in my heart about it. It was already let go. Uh, God forgives often knowing that we'll sin again. Sometimes in the exact same way. It's the habit of men to forgive only if the offending party solemnly promises never to wrong again. You know, one time Peter said to Jesus, he said, how often should I forgive my brother? Seven times? What Jesus said? Seventy times seven. 490 times a day. Oh, man. But that means you've got to have forgiveness in your heart. A work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, God's forgiveness is so complete and glorious that he grants adoption to those former offenders. It's the habit of men, even when forgiveness is offered, they won't lift again the former offender to a place of status and partnership. We won't be friends with them anymore. The forgiveness of God is so immense, and he says, I want you to forgive as you have been forgiven. God's forgiveness offers complete restoration and honor, and it's the habit of men who feel that we've been, uh, we should be complimented when we tolerate those who sin against us. He says, and above all these things, put on love, which is the bond, the complete uniting principle. Put on love. 1 Corinthians 13, uh, verse 4. Uh, you can turn there. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 says, love, the God kind of love is patient. The God kind of love is kind, gentle. Uh, it has the other's best interest at heart. The, the, the God kind of love is not jealous. It doesn't brag or boast. It's not puffed up. Look at me, how wonderful. It doesn't act inappropriately. Doesn't plot or scheme selfishly. It's not easily provoked or exasperated. It doesn't hold grudges, keep an inventory of hurts. You know, uh, a couple was arguing and one of them said, and the other one said, you just become historical every time we get in an argument. It's not historical, it's hysterical. No, you're historical. You remember everything I ever did wrong. You know, and keep repeating it back to me. Uh, we're not to hold grudges, doesn't rejoice in injustice and moral wrong, but it encourages truth, bears all things, is po has a positive expectancy about things, endures all things, love, the God kind of love never fades away. And he says then, then, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. What does that mean? Let the peace of God rule in your heart. It, it is that when his peace is in charge in your heart, the Holy Spirit's ruling in your heart, and then you do something you know you shouldn't do. And you've had that little caution, but you go ahead and do it, and you lose your peace. How many of you have ever lost your peace before? I know it's the other person's fault, but you lose your peace, and the peace is supposed to be an umpire in your heart. I use that one a lot. When I lose my peace, then I, even if I think I'm right, I start going, now Lord, why have I lost my peace there? What is wrong? Let the peace of God blow the whistle in your heart. We're to be people filled with love, people filled with the peace of God, and let, let that rule in our hearts. Uh, and let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom. If you want the word of Christ to dwell in you, How's that going to happen? Somebody raise your hand and help me. Read it is one thing. How many of you can read something and think about something else? Sometimes you can read something and you don't even remember what you just read. I'm not even sure if I asked you what book you read in the Bible, you wouldn't even know. Uh, so reading is good. And then reading how? Meditating, yes, that's one of the key words of the Bible. If you want to prosper in your spiritual life, 
Take the Word of God. Memorize the Word of God. Think about the Word of God. Chew on it like cud. Think over it. You know, just like I was this week. You know, when, when Martha says, hey, you know, that, that was a little bit curt the way you said that. Well, I didn't just say, ah, mouthy woman. No, I thought, well, she's a, she's a good friend. And she has spoken to me about something. And I need to pay attention. She knows me very well. I didn't mean it in a bad way. But I need to improve that. Because if that hurt her feelings, I don't want to hurt her feelings. I want her to be comfortable talking to me. I need God's Word. So I thought, how am I going to do that? Well, I'm going to read the Word of God. Find out what He says. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to take control of my life. I'm going to ask Him to speak to me and to help me in situations. To think and to speak gently and speak carefully. Sometimes with Sophie. My daughter is autistic. And sometimes just the tone of your voice will set her off. And I have to say, uh, you know, Martha will say, kind voice, you know, because I don't always feel very kind. But that's all right. Kind voice, gently help. Because she's struggling through something. We ask God to help us. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in wisdom. And be able to teach and encourage each other with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. If you were going to sing a song that would really encourage somebody right now. Somebody raise your hand and tell me a name of a song that you think would just be so encouraging to you or somebody else. Yes. Sweet, sweet spirit. There's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. And I know that it's the spirit of the Lord. There's sweet expressions on his face. And I know they feel the presence of the Lord. Sweet, Holy Spirit. Sweet, Heavenly Dove. You know, if we are going to have choices, Jerry's usually going to choose that song because that means so much to him. Somebody else, what's another song that you find just so encouraging and so uh, stirs your heart? Yes. You are my stronghold. And give me a couple more words from that. Amen. Wow. You need to sing that for me again. Yeah. You know, a, a song of encouragement in the Lord, singing out to God. Oh, you know, oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds your hands has made, have made, I see the stars and I hear the rolling thunder, your power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art. How great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art. And, and it goes on. Somebody else got a song. Somebody else had a hand up. Yes, Paul. Trust and obey. There's no other way Yes. When we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory He sheds on our way. While we do His good will, He abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey. There is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Good. Somebody else back there had a song? Yes. Hallelujah, I'm free. Tell us a few more words to that. Hallelujah, I'm free. No burden of sin is bothering me. Jesus came and he set me free. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yes, and that's Brother Bob, one of Brother Bob's big words that he's saying up in heaven. Hallelujah, I'm free. And it says, sing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. I mean, if you start singing to God, when peace like a river attends my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot you taught me to say, it's well, it's well with my soul. You know, you can have tears pouring down your eyes, the deepest sorrow from the deepest loss, but you can start singing out and singing together. Oh, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me your great salvation so rich. And free. One more? Yes. Yes, Amazing Grace, written by a dude that was a slave trader, uh, a terrible person, a cursor. He was such a bad cursing person. His own daddy told him, Stay off my ship, boy. You are evil. And then John Newton, in a desperate storm, remembered what his mama taught him. She died when he was 12, but he remembered what she had told him about Jesus. And suddenly, it just flooded over him. Amazing grace, how sweet 
the sound that saved a lowlife like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was bound. You know, we were just at a, a service the other day, and somebody came in bound in chains, hands and feet, led in by an officer. I once was bound, but now I'm free in Jesus. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. Grace, my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Now, if you'd like, we'll just leave out the last part of this chapter. Wives. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, verse 17, giving thanks through him to God the Father. And we can stop right there and y'all go home happy. But now let me just interfere briefly in your life. And uh, God says in his word, wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. That does not mean that men are superior to women. Just like the general in the army has an officer underneath him, he's not superior to the officer maybe in intellect or he just has a higher rank. The word subject is rank under. Somebody's got to be in charge. Wives, rank under your husband. The idea of submission doesn't have anything to do with someone being smarter or better or more talented. It has to do with God-appointed order. Anyone who served in the armed forces knows that rank has to do with order and authority, not with value and ability. The equality of men and women before the Lord, of which Paul wrote in Galatians 3.28, has not been retracted. But neither does it mean identity, role, or function. Submission means that the husband is the captain of the team, but you need the whole team working together. Wives, submit to your own husbands. This is the sphere of submission. Listen, it's not wives, submit to any man who comes in and starts bossing you around. No, it's wives, submit to your own husband. The Bible never commands, commands or recommends a general submission of women to men. It is commanded only in the sphere of the home and in the church. God does not command that women, that men have exclusive authority in all areas of politics, business, education, and so on, as is fitting in the Lord. There's two wrong interpretations to this. Some uh, teach that a woman should submit to her husband no matter what. Doesn't matter. Uh, you know, he just, whatever he says, that you do it. Well, I'm sorry, there's no man that is right about everything. We'll talk about her later in the elders' meeting there. That's right, man. You know, listen, the perfect, who is the first man? Adam. God made him. And he said, it's not good for you to be alone. You need help. This is before sin came into the world. This is when he's meeting with God every day. Why does the perfect man meeting with God every day, no sin in the world, need help? Now, those of you who've been with me for a while, you know that God made him that way. He was made to need help. And then God made the woman. And she's extremely different from the man. And God made her that way. It's good. The way the man is, in spite of what some people think, is good. Men were made to be men. I mean, you take a little boy in the nursery and a little girl, and you give them the same stick, and one will make a gun, and the other one will have a doll. You know, it's just the way it is. You know, boys are rowdy, and, and girls are girls. And we should not try to make boys into girls and girls into boys. They are different. And celebrate the difference. Celebrate that. And in marriage, uh, if you don't want a man telling you what to do, don't get married. Well, I wish you told me that before, dude. Well, sorry. You're there now. Uh, God can take care of that. He can remove him. Well, I didn't mean that. I just want him to do what he's told. Uh, well, so, so saying it's as is fitting in the Lord. The extent of submission is as is fitting in the Lord. Uh, men cannot tell a woman to sin. And then uh, the interpretation that favors the wife says as is fitting in the Lord means I submit to him as long as he does what the Lord wants. And then it's the wife's job to decide what the Lord wants. And this thinking uh, is uh, fitting the Lord defines the limits of submission. This is also wrong. It's true that there are limits to the wife's submission. When the wife approaches as is fitting in the Lord this way, then it generates in the case of I'll submit to my husband when I agree with him. 
and I'll submit to him when he makes the right decisions and carries them out the right way. When he makes the wrong decision, it isn't in the Lord, so I shouldn't submit to him. It isn't fitting to do so. Simply put, that is not submission at all, except for those who just plan, can't, are just plain cantankerous and argumentative. Everyone submits to others when they're in agreement. It's only when there's disagreement that submission is tested. As in fitting in the Lord is not to define the extent of a wife's submission. It doesn't define the limits of a wife's submission. It defines the motive of a wife's submission. It means wives, submit yourselves to your own husband because it's part of your duty to the Lord. Oh, thank you. To the Lord. This will keep your balance there. My mother and father, wonderful people. I really honor them. But I've told you all many times, I'd see my mama say something and I'd see my daddy disagree with her and I'd know mama's right, daddy's wrong. Let's see how this works out. And I'd stand and watch. And many times I've seen them have a discussion. A decision has to be made. And she said, okay, I've told you what I think. Now, we're there. And dad would make a decision and we'd go on. And sometimes those ideas would crash and burn. And she didn't come say, yeah, I told you so. If you just listened to me, you'd always get it right. No. She came and said, okay, now, try that. Let's do something else. And then we go for something else. And I always saw her show honor and respect. Uh, and I told Joel, I mean, there were times when he, I mean, he came in one time, misunderstood something, jerked me up, gave me a good whipping, and she was trying to stop, 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 stop. And he went ahead and gave me a whipping. Then she says, we need to talk. They went to the back bedroom. They had a discussion. And she told him what he had misunderstood. So he came back and said, son, uh, I've already given you a whip and I can't take it back. And your mother tried to stop me and she was right. I misunderstood. I was wrong. Will you please forgive me? Well, I tell you, that still makes me cry sometimes. Because I knew even then as a young boy, men don't apologize. They try to give you something. They try to do something. They never say, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And I forgave him and he went much bigger in my estimation then. But my mother didn't scream and yell at him in front of us and destroy all. No, they went back and then she came, came back in and they had come to agreement and dealt with that. So uh, please don't think of the exceptions. I know if your husband has dementia, you can't go along with everything that he says. I understand that if he's drunk or high, you can't do everything he said. That's different. But we're talking about a principle in the scripture here. It's part of your Christian life as a wife. When a wife doesn't obey the, this word to submit to her husband as is fitting of the Lord, she doesn't just fall short as a wife. She falls short as a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, guess what? Tonight, we'll be talking about this at 6 o'clock. So you're welcome to come. And it'll be a discussion. Um, and so you're welcome to come and discuss that uh, tonight. Uh, and I know we're talking about stuff. You say, well, I'm not a wife, don't have a wife, so it doesn't matter. Well, pay attention. You'll have to teach somebody else. This means that the command to submit is completely out of the realm of my nature and my personality. Wives aren't expected to submit because of the submissive types. They're expected to submit because it's fitting in the Lord. Just wait. I'm getting to the men. Don't worry. Uh, this has nothing to do with your husband's intelligence or giftedness or capability. It has to do with honoring the Lord Jesus Christ. This has nothing to do with whether or not your husband is right on a particular issue. It has to do with Jesus being right. This means that a woman should take great care how she chooses her husband. Remember, ladies, this is what God requires of you in marriage. Now, I've got this written down, so I say this carefully, okay? I'm trying to survive this. This is his expectation of you. Instead of looking for an attractive man, instead of looking for a wealthy man, instead of looking for a romantic man, first look for a man that you can respect. And you guys, you should be developing yourselves to be the kind of a woman, uh, kind of a man that a woman can respect and trust and rank under and work with. As in the case of every human relationship, the command to submit is not absolute. There are exceptions to this command for a wife to submit to her own husband. When the husband asks the wife to sin, she must not submit. When the husband is medically incapacitated, insane, or under the influence of mind-altering substances, the wife may not submit. When a husband is violent, physically threatening, the wife may not submit. When the husband breaks the marriage bond by adultery, the wife does not need to submit to her husband being in an adulterous relationship. Husbands, love your wives. This is a suggestion from the Lord. 
what you're laughing. No, no, that's a command. Husbands, love your wives. The first thing men pull back is if they're having a fuss, they pull back love. You know, it tells women two or three times, respect your husband, because that's what the wife pulls back. If that guy didn't have me, he'd mess everything up. Well, if you say that in your husband's presence and disrespect him in front of other people, he'll find him somebody who does respect him. Now, that doesn't excuse him, but it, one man says it's this serious. When a wife shows serious disrespect to her husband, it's the same effect on him as her, as him having an affair with another woman. If I thought Martha had absolutely no use for me, no respect for me, it would, it would destroy me. I want to be a person she can respect. I want to be respected by her, and I want to be in that kind of relationship with her. Uh, so men, be respectable. Uh, Significantly, this puts an obligation on husbands. In the ancient world, under Jewish, Greek, and Roman customs, all power and privileges belong to husbands in regard to their wives, to fathers in regard to their children, to masters in regard to slaves. There's no complementary powers or privileges on the part of wives, children, or slaves. We live in America. I grew up in Africa, you know, and, and a whole lot of the women were treated as slightly underneath a good hunting dog. They were not treated well at all, not treated kindly, uh, and, and in Christ, the world has changed. Uh, now, there's abuses of Christian doctrine, but Christ has lifted slaves up, has lifted women up, has lifted up marriage, has lifted up uh, agapeo, listen to this carefully, does not denote affection or romantic uh, attraction. It denotes caring love, a deliberate attitude of mind that concerns itself with the well-being of the one love. Let me say it again. The agape, the God kind of love, does not denote affection or romantic attachment. It denotes caring love, a deliberate attitude of the mind that concerns itself with my wife and with the well-being of that one love. Strictly speaking, listen to this, agape cannot be defined as God's love because men are said to agape sin. Uh, John 3.19 and 1 John 2.15 says that men love sin, agape sin. So agape is not always the God kind of love. But the God kind of love is a sacrificial, giving, absorbing love. The word has little to do with emotion, has much to do with self-denial for the sake of another. It is love that gives without changing. It's consistent and committed. It is self-giving love that gives without demanding or expecting repayment. It is love that is so great it can be uh, given to the unlovable and the unappealing because out of God comes love. It is love that loves even when it's rejected. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we can do this. To the glory of God, we can love somebody who's rejecting that. Agape love gives and loves because it wants to. God loves us because He has chosen to love us, not because we're so lovable. Uh, and it, it does not demand or exact repayment from the love given. It gives because it loves. It does not love in order to receive. We can read this passage and think that Paul means husbands, be kind to your wife, or husband, be nice to your wife. There's no doubt that for many marriages that would be a huge improvement, but that isn't what Paul writes about. He says, husband, continually practice self-denial for the sake of your wife. And don't be bitter towards them. First Peter 3 says that if you're bitter towards your wife, you hinder your prayers with God. He says, that's my daughter. You've been mistreating her. I'm not really listening. I might listen a little bit. Children, obey your parents when it suits you. How many here are children? The rest of you hatch? Okay. No, no, all of us are children at some level. But we're talking here about children in the home. Children, obey your parents. Now, when you get to a certain age, you know, 13, 14, 15, sometimes at nine. You're just sure that you're so much smarter than your parents. Uh, you know far more. I mean, you can program their phone for them, and they are clueless. You can do all kinds of stuff for them. But listen, and now I took this seriously. Ephesians 6, 3. Does anybody know what Ephesians 6, 3 says about obeying your parents? Uh, well, let me tell you, the, the part of this that, that spoke a lot to me. It says, children, obey your parents, honor your father and your mother, that you may live long on the earth. What's the opposite of living long on the earth? 
a short life. Pardon? Going out quickly. Not at your father's hand. That's murder. He's not allowed to do that. Okay. But you can go out quickly. And, and I have lived long enough to see this happen in young people's lives. I've seen them die premature, unnecessary deaths because they were rebels against their father. Rebellion, God says, is like the sin of witchcraft. Let me tell you something. Uh, young people, have respect for your parents. Honor your parents. You know, with my dad, this is the way I had to handle it. May I ask you something? No. That's the end of that. But usually, he would say yes. I remember when I was in college, I'd already been away from home. My daddy's riding down the road, just grumbling. Ah, these people. This is back in the 70s when, you know, boys had their hair down to here. Oh, long hair. You, you need to get your hair cut. And I said, why? I mean, my hair is barely over my ears. I had hair then, believe it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it was sort of like John's back there. Uh, not nearly as nice as his, but, I, you know, it was hanging down on my ears a little bit, on my collar a little bit. And my dad said, it's a sign of rebellion. And I said, have I ever been rebellious to you? No. Have I ever shown disrespect to you? No. And I said, I am not a rebel. I am wearing my hair long in rebellion against churchy people who think that if you have your hair cut above your ears and off your collar, you're righteous. And if you let your hair touch your ears and touch your collar, you're unrighteous. I said, I'm in rebellion against that. I said, when I was 17, I went to that church over there that, that he and I knew. And I said, I spoke, and they, they wanted me to speak to the young people, and I could speak to them. I had nothing to say. I wasn't much older than they were. I said, I came back two, three years later, I had something to say, but because my hair touched my ears, touched my collar, they didn't have it. I couldn't say anything to those young people. I said, I'm in rebellion against that. I grew a beard and mustache, you know. I said, because I was told, you know, in certain circles that I was in, that that was wicked and evil. And I said, well, you, you heard about the boy? And I'm almost done. Heard about a boy, you know, uh, he was trying to get his daddy to buy him a car. And his daddy said, well, son, if you'll cut your hair and cut that beard off, said, uh, uh, I'll buy you a car. And he said, well, what's that got to do with it? He said, uh, well, I just want that cut. He said, Jesus had long hair and a beard. He said, yes, son. He walked everywhere. He went too. <laughs> Before God, you know, and, and I disagreed with my parents about things, but I would ask, I would ask and show respect. And I knew that God was watching and I wanted to please God. And it was a protection for me. And the times that I did not walk within their principles, many times that was painful in my life. And it says, fathers, don't provoke your children. Children have a responsibility to obey, but parents are here uh, and, and put into one as fathers have a responsibility not to provoke their children. Parents can provoke their children by being too harsh, too demanding, too controlling, unforgiving, and just plain angry. This harshness can be expressed through words and actions and nonverbal communication. In most parenting problems, the parent blames the child. It's easy to do because the problem is usually most evident in bad behavior in the child. But Paul wisely reminds us that bad behavior may actually be provoked by the parents. When this is the case, it doesn't justify the bad behavior of the child that may explain part of the cause. It's commanded to the parents to do everything they can not to provoke the children. Parents, and especially fathers, are urged not to irritate their children by being so unreasonable in their demands that their children lose heart and come to think that it's useless trying to obey their parents. You know, I heard about a girl uh, when she walked in the kitchen after they got married. Her husband said, when you walk in the kitchen, why do you always walk in like this? She said, because when I was a little girl, when I walked into the kitchen, my mama was at the stove here. When I walked through the door here, she just always backhanded me. Just standard procedure. She said, so I just learned to walk through the door by the stove like this. <laughs> Go on, you know, went on. That was a, that's terrible. And you wonder why poor girl had troubles in marriage. Don't. Be harsh with your children, lest they become discouraged. Children who grow up with parents who provoke them will become discouraged. The new man's servant and master relationship. It says, slaves, obey your masters in, according to the flesh. 
not with eye service as men pleasers, but sincerity, with sincerity of heart, fearing God. You know, Daniel worked for a man who was very unreasonable. He worked for Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar roasted people when he got annoyed with them. Nebuchadnezzar fed people to lions when he's annoyed with people. Nebuchadnezzar sent them off to faraway places when he was annoyed with people. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar was a fierce man. But Daniel prayed. How often a day? Three times a day. And he spent time praying. And he served Nebuchadnezzar. He would talk to Nebuchadnezzar. One time, Nebuchadnezzar saw a vision. And Daniel interpreted it and said, Sir, you're so doing so many evil things. And God's warning you to stop. Or he's going to do something about it. Nebuchadnezzar said, well, well, okay. A year later, he was bragging, strutting around. God smacked him down for seven years. Those of you that are discouraged about somebody in your life that's giving you trouble, understand God can deal with people. You're serving the Lord Christ. He who does wrong will be repaid for the wrong he has done if he's not a Christian. Is that what it says? You still with me? The one who does wrong will be repaid. Whether he's a Christian or not, God is watching, as you said. God does care. And in this life, sometimes there's discipline. And in the life to come, uh, let me ask you a question. In heaven, are there rewards? In heaven, can you forfeit? Is everybody equal in heaven? No. Many who are first here will be last there. Many who are last here will be first, first there. First Corinthians 3 says you might go into heaven uh, and save so as by fire. North Georgia we say by far. Yes. <laughs> save so as by fire. You go into heaven smelling the smoke. You just barely made it. You are worthless here for God. First uh, Corinthians 3. Tonight we'll, we'll be discussing uh, in Luke chapter 12 so you can uh, come and we'll talk about that uh, tonight. Now, today I've done what I don't like to do a whole lot. I've done a lot of reading, but all those points are hard to remember and have memorized. And I did intend to have them up here for you, but we got sabotage there this morning. Um, I hope that you'll go back and read Colossians chapter 3. 1 and 2 is God's great work in our life. Chapter 3 tells us what God wants us to do. And you may be here saying, oh, my word. I have violated all of those. I've been disrespectful to my parents. I've been awful to my spouse. I've been awful uh, mistreating my kids. Uh, I have been a terrible boss. I've been an awful employee, stealing, lying, uh, abusive. I, I'm, I've just been a bad person, and I'm really convicted today. The wonderful thing about Jesus Christ is, he says, I can change you. Come, surrender to me. Confess to me, I've sinned, and say, help me. You know, we sang at the beginning of the service, you alone can save and turn my heart from stone to clay. In Christ alone, in the power of Christ, and then amazing grace flowing down covers me. Why did God give us directions for life? Husbands, wives, children, slaves, masters. Why did he give us instructions? So we know the right way and because we're prone to go. Yes, we don't usually forgive. We don't usually love. We are inclined to be bitter. We are inclined to be unloving. We are inclined to be disobedient. We are inclined to be abusive. We're inclined to go the wrong way. And he has told us the right way by the power of the Holy Spirit. And your goal should be to please God. And if you'll do it to please God, even if the other person's wrong, even if they're mistreating you, you can do it to please God as an act of worship. Guess what? You'll be blessed. And God will use that obedience in your heart and life. He will use that to make you more and more like Jesus. He will use that to bring a brokenness into your life and a prayerfulness into your life that will transform you and bring you into a closer walk with God. It seems backwards. It seems Wrong, And the culture around you will say you're stupid. But in Jesus, you can have victory and peace and a joy and a holiness and become more and more godly 
in the way that you live. Father, uh, I thank you for each one that's here today. I thank you for your word that you've given to us. You've told us that because Jesus has come into our heart, because our spirit is alive in him, that we can be forgiven of our sins. We can be reconciled to you, filled with your Holy Spirit, and given a new direction in life. We become a new man as a husband, a new man, as a, a new person as a wife, a new person as a child, a new person as an employee or as an employer. We can be more and more like Christ-like in every arena that you've placed us in so that we will influence people to know you and so that we can live to please you. You've told us that he who loves me keeps my commandments and he who loves me and keeps my commandments, I will love him and my father will love him and I will manifest myself, reveal myself to him. Lord Jesus, we want to see you more and more in our lives. We want to see you touching people around us more and more in our lives. I pray that you would help us with that. I pray for each person as we go from here with the instruction from your word, a lamp to our feet, a light to our path, that we would choose to walk in your ways. Help us to go to those that we need to ask forgiveness from and to ask for forgiveness. Help us to come to you when we say this is not going to work, but to submit ourselves will, willingly to you to see you work in and through our lives. I thank you for these uh, men and women here who so many of them have such godly lives and such an example of Christian manhood, Christian womanhood, Christian young people. I thank you for the privilege to be among uh, this group. And I pray that you would help us to be more and more like Jesus because we love him by the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We want to thank you one more time for taking the time to listen to these messages that God's provided our fellowship. We believe he's doing something special among us and would love for you to be a part of it. We hope that you'll take the time to come and visit us in person someday soon. And we invite you to visit our website, covenantcommunitylj.com. If you have a prayer request or if there's a specific way we can minister to you and your family. Until then, God bless you.